0: It is so good to join you today at the Revive School. And whether today is your very first time joining us at Revive School or, or you've been here for all 600 lessons, I just want you to know in the next hour we can expect one thing, and that's for the Holy Spirit to be present and for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That means that today, um, God's Word is going to do one of those things within us. It's going to do one of those things not just in you, but it's going to do those things in me as well. We kind of expect that. Uh, Today we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 12 uh, through chapter 14. We actually have to back up to what Kyle was speaking on yesterday in uh, chapter 11, verse 21, because at the very end of his message... um, he begins to describe um, what was happening to him in his message. It says says, uh, Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the people of Anathoth, who are threatening to kill you, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hands. Um, I don't know about you, but um, have you ever had a day in which you're trying to obey God and just trying to listen to God, hear His voice, and do what He says? And it really didn't turn out that great. Uh, That's what was happening to Jeremiah. Uh, In Jeremiah's life, uh, they threatened to kill him for the very message that God wanted him to proclaim. And uh, I've beaten myself up over a few messages before. I've gone home and on a Sunday afternoon, it seems like a a couple hours after the message and the adrenaline has worn off. Um, I start to have these questions of why. Start to beat myself up or start to say, well, God, did I hear your voice right? Or um, did I do what was right? That's what we get with Jeremiah in chapter 12. He's preached his message. He's preached his heart out. And now he's he seems to be kind of depressed. He seems to be kind of down. And he says these words, You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. He he knows that the very nature of God is that God is righteous and God is just. Yet he says, uh, I would speak to you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Next verse, uh, you have planted them and they have, Taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their heart. These people are constantly talking about God, but it's not genuine. It's just not in their heart. And Jeremiah just questions God about this. Uh, Where do you go when you have your questions? Where do you go when you have your difficulties? Um, A few weeks ago, I had a friend, he called me up, and he was telling me about some difficulties that were going on in his life and just wanted some advice, and you know, that's a good thing. But our phone call got interrupted, and uh, we called him back in about a half hour, and he said, you know what, in that half hour time, I just skipped you and went to God, and I don't even need to talk to you now. Um, I think that was great. That was absolutely fantastic, and sometimes before we jump to going to other people, we need to do what Jeremiah does. He he goes directly to God with his case, and and his question is why life doesn't seem uh, doesn't seem to be fair. It doesn't seem to make sense. Why are the wicked prospering? And in, in the other side, you know I'm trying to be faithful to you, and people are out to steal my life. Um, if we move on to verse three, you just see this complaint. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. He doesn't uh, go to God and say, hey, I'm telling you about me and I'm, I'm pure and righteous. He just says, God, you, you know my heart. Test me. I, w- I want to be right before you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. <laughs> Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land be parched? Will the grass in every field be withered because of those who live in it and are wicked, like animals and birds have perished? Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. Here's here's the problem. They're going through this drought. And in the middle of the drought, the drought in, in part is caused by the wickedness of the people. And yet there are people like Jeremiah who have tried to be faithful to God, yet they live in the same land. And it doesn't seem to be fair. And Jeremiah is calling out to God on this. Uh, people in every generation have had this same conversation with God. Job had it in the, the very first writings of Scripture. We have it with Jeremiah here. And the argument is still going on today that one of the one of the things that's keeping people From fully surrendering to God is this feeling like God's not fair. Yet, if you begin to think about the fairness of God, um, there's some things, like if we truly wanted life to be completely fair, there'd be some wonderful things that we would be missing in it. I've written this down redemption is never fair, it's not fair that you and I were sinners and Christ died for us. So if we wanted to eliminate fairness from our life, we would, we would eliminate the cross. Uh, it, it, back when uh, Jesus was teaching, he told about the kingdom of God. and One time he was talking about this man that went out to uh, hire some workers and he, he goes to the union hall early in the morning and he hires a worker for the whole day and tells, tells him, I'll give you a, a full day's wages. Then a little bit later, he needs more workers, and he and he goes back to the union hall, and he gets more people, and um, he he tells them, I'll, "I'll settle up with you at the end of the day." Halfway through the day, he gets more workers. Even one hour before quitting time, he gets more workers. And then when he goes to settle up with them, to pay them what's what's fair, or what their wages are, for the one who worked one hour he got a full day's wages. The one who works just half a day got a full day's wages. And then the one that worked the full day began to complain and say, you know what, that's just not fair. It's not fair that uh, I worked a full day, they worked just an hour, and we all got the same amount. You see, at the very gospel, it's not fair. (laughs) Generosity is not fair. Every time you get a gift from your mom and dad for your birthday and you don't have to pay them back, it's just not fair. But it's it's love. It's the gospel. It's redemption. Um, have you ever gone to one of those vending machines? Uh, you know, you get the your favorite candy bar. You can see the, the glass up there and you can see them. Like you get to pick it out and you go... Um, Man, I want that twinkie on D6. And so you put your money in and you, you push your D6 and then the thing squirrels around a little bit and then it gets caught. Have you ever had that ever happened to you? Like you paid the money, you pushed the right numbers and it, the twinkie gets caught between the glass and uh, and going on down. Uh, Kevin, what do you do in a case like that? I just want you to be honest here. What do you shake do? The you shake the machine. I wonder if every human being on earth has shook one of those machines. You know, I've I've had full-out wars with one of those (laughs) machines because it is not fair that I paid my money and I didn't get my Twinkie. (laughs) Some of us treat God as a cosmic vending machine. Like, I did my part, I asked for this, and God, you didn't come through. And I think that's what Jeremiah is saying right in this passage. He's he's shaking the machine right now going, why is it that not only I'm not getting what I want, it seems like there's this Twinkies falling <laughs> down on the, uh, on the wicked. Um, you following me on this? God's not fair, but God's good. Uh, there's this pattern that you see in the prophets. You actually see it all through scripture. Uh, the the pattern of the prophets, as uh, Dr. House used to say, Paul House was one of my professors in college. He says in, in the prophets, there's this pattern of, of sin, punishment, and restoration. And at each point, God, God deals with human beings in each one of those places in a different kind of a way. Uh, You go back to the Old Testament and you see this pattern that takes place that when you start to walk with God, God begins to bless you. God begins to bless you in an incredible way. And something about the human heart, when we get blessed, we usually don't turn deeper into God. We usually turn away from God. I don't know why it is. I don't know. Um, part of the human nature, I guess, where instead of seeing a God that's blessed us in so many ways, we don't turn more into Him. We turn away from Him. We stop listening to Him, and we forget Him. When people st- forget God, and what God has to do is turn them back around and get their attention once again. And what you could call that is, is pride at the beginning. There's, there's pride when we turn into our own way, and then God turns us around. And the act of turning us around is this redemption piece. We see this in Scripture where uh, pride is often condemned in our hearts. It says in uh, James chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You find that very same Scripture in in the Gospels, in Luke, you find it in Proverbs, you find it in the Psalms, that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. When we are turn away from God, He's against us. When we begin to turn around and go with Him, then He's for us. The nineteen twenty nine Rose Bowl Uh, remains a famous football game. Uh, Kevin would you have any idea what happened in the 1929 Rose Bowl? I don't. I'm sorry. not. In the 1929 Rose Bowl uh, in the middle of the second quarter there's a play in which the running back uh, for Georgia Tech fumbled and the nose guard uh, uh, for California picked up the ball and got kind of banged around a little bit lost his way and he started to run towards the wrong goal line his own goal line was only 30 yards away and um, yet he got turned around and he starts to run for the opposite goal line and literally uh, the the opposing coach when his players started to get up and yell um, he turns around to his players and says shh you know be quiet Um, suddenly the game's changed the players that were wanting to tackle him were now blocking for him (laughs) isn't that right suddenly the guys that love him and are on the same team as him are chasing him down why are they doing that they've become the opposition to turn him around when we are in pride when we're walking in pride we're heading towards the wrong goal line in every kind of way and god the loving god is trying to to turn us around So he gives this complaint, like, what's what's going on, God? Why why does it seem like you're you're against us in every kind of way? God's trying to turn people around. He gets done with his rant. You ever had that rant? He gets done with it, and God now wants to speak. And God says, "This: If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses?" If you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Do you know what God's saying? Um, you think that life is hard right now. You're just taking a walk a, a waltz um, right now on flat ground out in the pasture. One day you're going to be really in the in the jungle. Uh, you think you're in a race right now with men. Um, one day you're going to be racing against horses. In other words, we haven't reached the low point yet. It's going to get worse. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was hoping for a little encouragement from God uh, in that. I was thinking that God might encourage Jeremiah to, hey, just keep being faithful. Just keep being faithful. Uh, And so uh, that's where uh, Jeremiah is stuck in this. We're going to move on to the next chapter. Because in the next chapter, um, after Jeremiah's complaint, God comes to him and says, I got another message for you. Jeremiah 13.1 says, This is what the Lord said to me. Kyle, yesterday when he was talking, he just went on and on about these different ones. This is what the Lord said to me. Actually, there is no book of the Bible that has more phrases of this than Jeremiah. Over 300 times he uses this phrase, This is what the Lord said to me. Uh, God is speaking through him and to him. And as Kyle shared yesterday, and it's so important. Did you understand? God's not done speaking. And one of the uh, the key moments of our life is hearing the voice of God and following it. Um, this morning I was talking to Kyle about, it. I wish we had the second book of Jeremiah. You know, this is, this is the things that God told him, but don't you wish you had the book of Jeremiah of the things I thought God told me <laughs> and I got wrong? Um, sometimes... Those can be more helpful uh, than than any. I I remember one time, I knew I knew that God wanted me to pick up this person that was walking along the side of the road, and I didn't do it. And I felt that conviction of God. I I needed to do that. I needed to do that. And so uh, later on that night, I couldn't stand it any longer. I was a student at Taylor University, and I got in my car and I went out looking for a hitchhiker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, God. I'm going to obey you. I, I drove along the road. I found this person standing on the side of the road, and I rolled down my window and said, hey, would you like a ride? And the person said, I'm just picking up my mail, just walking across the street. <laughs> <laughs> you know how embarrassing that is. <laughs> do you know? Oh, excuse me. Um, sometimes we hear God Incorrectly. But Jeremiah, the definition of a true prophet is that they hear God right. They hear they hear the word of God correctly. In Jeremiah thirteen we have a very interesting passage. The Lord said to me, Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist, but do not let it touch water. Uh, when he's talking about this linen belt, it's not um, go buy a nice new belt to show off your outfit. <laughs> Uh, these linen belts are undergarments, not outer garments. They don't go on as an accessory over top. These are, this is your underwear. Uh, he's like, go buy some underwear. And uh, I like it. Uh, don't let it touch water. I'll let you uh, fill in the blanks on that. Um, don't, don't get your underwear wet here. Um, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 2. So he bought a belt, as the Lord directed. Put it around his waist. Uh, then the Lord God came to me a second time. So he's got his undergarment on. God says to him, Take the belt you brought and are wearing around your waist and go now to Peroth and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. Commentators have debated and debated over where this location is because um, it's usually described as this place along the Euphrates and they they've done the like the map quest on this, and it would have taken weeks to walk there. Uh, that God has asked him to do that. Put on this, uh, put on your undergarments. Take it to, take it to this place. Uh, other commentators have found that there's probably a more likely place, a few miles away uh, uh, from Anathoth. And so uh, he goes to that. So he went and hid it at Parath, as the Lord told me. Can you imagine him walking away from that? Okay, you asked me to do this. I don't know why. Uh, A lot of times, God doesn't tell you why. He just tells you to do it. So he goes and he puts it on and he goes to this place and he hides hides it there. Then many days later, many days later, uh, let's not skip over that part. Like he obeys and then... There's, there's a delay, like, why did you ask me to do that? Uh, did, did I hear from you wrong, God? Did I, did I get it wrong? But many days later, it says, go now to Peroth and get the belt. I told you to hide there. So I went to Peroth, dug up the belt, and took it from the place where I'd hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. <laughs> Kevin, what are you thinking about that? <laughs> It just the absurdity of it all. Right, right. Buy really good underwear, don't wash it, go bury it, leave. Now you got to go back, dig up dirty underwear. Yeah. In Jeremiah's life, his life doesn't make sense unless he obeys. His life doesn't make You don't have a book of Jeremiah unless he does what God tells him to do. And I guess I want to just say the same thing. Your life and my life do not make sense without obedience. They don't make sense unless we're able and willing to get outside our comfort zone and do what God has asked us to do, no matter how silly it might sound or my, or how we can't even figure out why God would have us do what He has us do. It goes right back to what he was proclaiming in the streets, obey. Yeah, he actually acts out the parable. Um, and it's, a, it's one, you find so much with, with Jeremiah, as, as Kyle was mentioning, like he's very visual. He would have been a painter. Or, you know He's got all of these visual things. And then God begins to use that analogy to speak to the people, of saying, this is, this is what your life has become to me. Like your life has become, you know, what was precious and close and dirty. Um, You know, this is what pride does to you. Uh, Verse 9, this is what the Lord says, In the same way I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. Like you and I, when we are in pride, our life looks awful and rotten and ruined. And then when we turn around and we begin to obey then uh, God does something great. Uh, as I begin to look through this this whole book of Judah or Jeremiah, we're right in the middle uh, in the middle of it. We're in this place of the punishment where He's talking about they've they've sinned. He's proclaiming the punishment. He's proclaiming the punishment. You know, the great thing is is uh, later on there's this place of restoration. Uh, we're going to get later into the chapters of thirty and thirty four. You know those those beautiful quotes that we have, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Those words are words to people who are in prison, to people who are in exile. And it often doesn't just seem to make sense. It's like, God, why are you, um, like you're afflicting the comfortable and then you're comforting the afflicted. (laughs) And that's what God is doing, that he gives this tremendous word uh, to them. And so he, he, uh, he has this linen belt. Later on, there's another passage on wineskins, and it's a, uh, another analogy that he's giving to them. And he says, this is what the Lord God says, every wineskin shall be filled with wine. Uh, and if they say to you, don't we know that every wineskin should be filled with wine? <laughs> And then tell them, this is what the Lord said, I'm going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land, including the the kings on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all living in Jerusalem. I will smash them, one against the other, fathers and sons alike, declares the Lord. I will allow no pity or mercy or compassion to keep me from destroying them. I think he just wants to reach a point where he says, God, can I giving this message. can I, Do I have to just keep making this point over and over and over again? Yes, because when you love somebody and they're running after the wrong goal line, you'll chase them down to the final, you'll, you'll chase them down to the very end. You'll do absolutely anything to turn them around. And that's what he's doing. Uh, one briefly into... Moving into chapter 14, as we get close to our end, there's the drought that's taken place. Uh, we've referred to this drought. It says, This is the word of the Lord to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Uh, Judah mourns, her cities languish, they wail for the land, and a cry goes up from Jerusalem. The nobles send their servants for water, they go to the cisterns, but they find no water. Why? Um, Because they weren't meant to store up something from yesterday. They were meant for the the fountain, the living water. They return with their jars unfilled, dismayed and despairing. They cover their heads. The ground is cracked because there is no rain in the land. The farmers are dismayed and they cover their heads. If you move on down to 7, they seem to get in the middle of this kind of punishment, in the middle of the... Uh, in the middle of the drought, it says, "Although our sins testify us against us, do something, Lord, for the sake of Your name. For we have often rebelled, we have sinned against You." Um, as Kyle expressed again uh, yesterday, like when we're right in the middle of of those droughts, in those moments, it's a great time to repent. It's a great time to just say. Holy Spirit, would you point out anything within me that's full of pride and heading in the wrong direction? I want to be right before you. And then not just in their their repentance, but they they call on God's name. They call on the goodness of God. And they know that this is not just a God that uh, treats us as our sins deserve. But this is a God uh, that's generous. This is a God that's merciful. And this is a God that's loving and we can call on him and we need to call on him my daughter's on a mission trip uh, right now to the Dominican Republic Uh, first time they they got on down there um, and passed on through uh, technology back to us that uh, the the Dominican is in a drought right now they told the girls that even though they're on this mission trip that they won't be washing their clothes or showering all week long (laughs) until there's rain what, what do you imagine? All the parents are praying for rain. <laughs> Why? Because we don't want those clothes back <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, can you imagine, uh, you know, they're, they're doing a basketball camp, and they're sweating, and uh, they, they need water. They desperately, desperately need water. And uh, we received word yesterday that there was some rain. Isn't that great? Can you imagine when like, you haven't gotten rain, you you go out and you dance in it. You go out and you let it just pour out over you because uh once that you once when you didn't have it, you needed it so badly and then you cry out to God and when he when he finally delivers you you uh you just dance in it. Just wonder when the last time is that you've danced in the blessing of God that you've cried out to him, that you've repented. And then when God restored and God answered, that you just said, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And you, and you danced and praised to him. Uh, this is Jeremiah. It's a difficult book to get through. Um, it would be a difficult life to live. Um, but today, I just want to ask you, are you in a place of pride? And if you are, it's time to turn around. The message hasn't changed in America. We can live in a place of tremendous blessing, and we can turn to the blessings rather than the God that's the giver of the blessings. Maybe you're in a place today where you feel like God's not coming through for you, and you're asking some questions to Him. God, God knows, and you can come to Him. So we thank you, God. Thank you for your word for the usefulness of your word. Apply this to our lives. Redeem us and uh, save us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.